Uh, today we're continuing these, the series of questions that, that Siri can't answer, and today we're going to be looking at questions about the Bible, but before we get into that, I want to do a little interactive game together to see how smart we are collectively, okay? So we're going to do a little true-false game. I'm going to give you a number of statements, and you tell me if these are true or false. So number one, only female mosquitoes bite. If you think that is true, raise your hand. If you think that is false, raise your hand. Pretty divided. That is true. That is true. Um, here's number two. No word in English rhymes with the word orange. If you think that is true, raise your hand. If you think that is false, raise your hand. That is true. Here's number three. Elephants are the largest mammals in the world. If you think that is true, raise your hand. If you think that is false, raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you are on this one. The answer, of course, is false. It is a blue whale. All right, question number four. Goldfish have a two-second memory. If you think that is true, raise your hand. If you think that is false, raise your hand. The answer is false. They actually can have memories that last several months. Okay? All right, number five, last one. The country of Australia is wider in diameter than the moon. If you think that is true, raise your hand. If you think that is false, raise your hand. It is actually true. It's true. All right, by a show of hands, how many of you didn't raise your hand because you didn't want to look foolish in front of everyone? <laughs> it's hard to know whether something is true or false. I have to admit to you that I'm somewhat of a news junkie. I usually read the news on my phone. When I was a kid, I loved reading the newspaper. There was something about holding that, that physical paper in my hands that I enjoyed. It's amazing to me some of the stories that you'll read. For example, did you know that Albert Einstein was a rapper? Everybody knows that Einstein was a genius. We know that, that he is influential in helping us rethink the fabric of our universe, but did you know that he was among the first hip-hop artists? Jennifer Newberg, a college researcher, recently discovered several letters from Einstein that read like rap lyrics. One line reads, the universe bends, but it never ends. Light's top velocity has a certain ferocity. Well, <laughs> it's pretty incredible, really. Uh, I should tell you where I found this news story. It was in one of those uh, supermarket tabloid magazines. <laughs> Have you seen those? It's, uh, it's amazing, the stories that they'll come up with. For example, I don't know if you knew this, but multinational candy company manufacturer Mars announced Wednesday that it had begun selling a new savory crab-stuffed M&M. A, uh, a company press release said this, At long last, classic varieties such as Original and Peanut will be joined by an M&M that pairs our beloved mouth-watering chocolate with a surprisingly powerful blast of flavor from a morsel of fresh-caught Alaskan crab. 
In addition to milk chocolate and .02 ounces of crab meat, each bite-sized piece includes a dollop of cream cheese and a proprietary blend of Cajun-style herbs and spices inside a candy shell. Delicious. Or did you know that the Earth's rotation is slowing down? Apparently, worried scientists have detected a significant slowing of our planet's rotation. They predict the Earth will stop spinning in as little as three years. The slowdown will lead to steadily longer days and nights and could cause everything from disastrous floods and earthquakes to mass starvation. Wow. Well, these, uh, these websites and these magazines certainly don't lack imagination in coming up with interesting stories. But I guess some people believe them because the National Enquirer claims some 3 million subscribers, some 18 million readers a week. So I guess some people buy into these stories. But if you ask me, they're pretty hard to believe. I mean, how, how do you really buy into these? You look at the source, and there might be some true things in there, but you just kind of throw it all out because you know that these stories just can't be real. But here's a question for you. What about the stories of the Bible? I think if we were honest, a lot of us would say the stories in the Bible that people just accept are about as believable as the stories that you might find in a supermarket tabloid. And so in the next few minutes, the question that I want us to address is, is the Bible reliable? Well, listen to what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, some of you believe that, but you've always believed that. Your mom and dad read you these stories as a kid, and you just accepted it as true. You've always believed it. But my guess is some of you are a bit, well, skeptical that the Bible really is true, at least all of it. You might think some parts are true. You might think of the Bible as a good book that gives wise advice and counsel, but is it really the Word of God? Perhaps you accept some stories as true, but you throw others out that are just too hard to believe. And so in the next few minutes, let's talk about how we can know the Bible really is true. The first question that I want us to address is the question of inspiration. How do we really know the Bible is God's inspired word? Well, as we try to answer that question, there's a few evidences to consider. The first evidence to consider is the evidence of authorship. The Bible is a collection of 66 different books written by over 40 authors over a period of 1,600 years. And these authors came from a variety of backgrounds. Some were tax collectors, some kings, some were peasants, others were doctors. A number of different backgrounds, and yet they all come together to write this one book. The Gospel of Luke is written to a man named Theophilus, and Luke begins his account of the life of Jesus, and he explains to Theophilus why he can believe that these words really are true. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So here's Luke, 
a well-educated doctor who says, I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So, Theophilus, you can feel good that what you're being taught is the truth. Peter explains how the Word of God was inspired in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophets themselves. It was the Holy Spirit who moved the prophets to speak from God. And so God miraculously used all kinds of authors over a long period of time to write this book. But I think the question that many of us have is how do we know that the book we read, the Bible we have, really has the words that were written so long ago? How do we know that it hasn't changed over time? Well, there's not only the evidence of authorship, but secondly, there's the evidence of authenticity. And there's a few different tests that can be used to determine how reliable a manuscript is. Now, a manuscript is simply a written document as opposed to a printed document. And so here's the first test. How many copies of the manuscript are there, and how closely do they compare to one another? How similar are they to one another? So how many copies are there, and how similar are they to one another? Now, when you were in high school, maybe you had to study or read the works of Plato and Aristotle. I'll tell you what I learned is that the reliability and the historicity of these works have never really been questioned. And yet, just take a stab at how many copies of Plato and Aristotle we have in our possession today. For Plato, seven. Seven manuscripts. The works of Aristotle, 49. Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars, 10. Homer's Iliad, 643. But if you look at the New Testament alone, we have almost 6,000 Greek manuscripts that we can compare with one another to determine the accuracy and authenticity of that book. That's just in Greek. When you compare the, the Latin manuscripts and the Coptic manuscripts and the manuscripts of other languages, there are over 29,000 manuscripts of the New Testament that we have to compare with one another. And so God has supernaturally preserved his word. Well, when they sat down with all these copies of the New Testament, they found that there are around 184,540 words to compare with one another. And scholars have a problem with around 400 of those words. But listen, they don't affect biblical teachings. They don't affect the doctrines of Scripture in any way. They amount to be what could be considered minor spelling or grammatical errors. Let's think about it this way. Let's imagine that your great-great-grandparents years ago wrote love letters to, love letters to one another. And your great-grandparents found those letters in the attic. And they decided that everyone in the family needed to have copies of these love letters between your great-great-grandparents. And so this was the days before the copy machine and so what they did is they hand-copied out each of these love letters, and then they sent them out to their other siblings. And in all, they made 10 copies. Well, here it is in 2022, and you get these letters, and you lay them all out next to each other, and it's been decades and decades. And as you read them, 
you see that they're not all exactly alike. In fact, in nine of the letters, your great-great-grandfather says to your great-great-grandmother, I will love you forever. But in one of the copies, one of the letters, he says, I will love you always. Well, there is a difference. The word has changed, but the meaning is still the same. And that's the type of things they found when they compared these manuscripts to one another. Nothing that would change the teachings or the doctrines of Scripture. I love what Josh McDowell, who set out to disprove the validity of Scripture, what he says about the Bible. He says the Bible, compared with other ancient manuscripts, has more manuscript evidence than any other ten pieces of classical literature combined. Well, just like the New Testament, the Old Testament is confirmed by the consistency of manuscripts over a long period of time. Uh, Let me explain to you what I mean. In 1948, the printing of the Bible was about ready to take place. It had been translated from Hebrew from the Masoretic text. And the Masoretic text was a manuscript that was produced in around AD 900. It was the oldest, the most ancient manuscripts of the entire Old Testament. It was written by a group of Hebrew scribes known as the Masoretes. And everyone doubted that we would ever find an older manuscript than the Masoretic text. But at virtually the same time that the Bible was rolling off the presses, thousands of miles away, a young Arab boy was walking around the Dead Sea. He picked up a rock and he threw it up into some caves surrounding the Dead Sea, you know, just having fun. And he heard something shatter. Well, he climbed up to investigate, and when he got up into the caves, he found some broken pottery and some manuscripts. It was the first of a collection that became known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, soon archaeologists were investigating caves throughout the area, and they were amazed to get this, find fragments of every Old Testament book and several complete copies. The investigation revealed that these Dead Sea Scrolls had most likely been produced in 100 B.C. In other words, these these texts were almost 1,000 years older than the Masoretic text. If there had been mistakes, if some variations had been made, it would have taken place between the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic text. And so they compared these two copies together, and they found what could be considered the smallest of variations that we would say were minor spelling errors. Well, here's a second test to determine the validity of a manuscript. What is the interval between the manuscript date and the authorship date? In other words, you look at the time that the manuscript was written, and then you find the most ancient copy of the manuscript that we have. And the shorter that interval of time, the more likely its authenticity. So, For this, I'm going to need a volunteer, preferably a student. Is there anybody who wants to come up here and volunteer with me? Anybody? You got it. Yep, that's you. Come on up here. All right, Easton, you're going to be my helper. So you stand stand here, okay? You hold this, okay? So let's look at some of these ancient documents. For this, each foot is going to represent 100 years, okay? So you've got, um, 
You think about some, some of the, uh, the other ancient writings that we talked about. So the writings of Aristotle, they were written in around 300, 350 B.C. The earliest fragment we have is 1100 A.D., okay? So that's an interval of 1,450 years. Here, walk that way a little bit. Stay on that. Okay, keep going, keep going. Okay, stop, stop. Right here, okay? 1,450 years between when the document was written and the oldest manuscript we have. Okay, now let's go to the works of Plato. Plato's Republic was written in 380 B.C. The earliest fragment we have is 900 A.D. for an interval of 1,280 years. So that would be right here. Let's stretch it out, okay? Right here, that's Plato's Republic. Okay, Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars was written in 60 B.C. The earliest manuscript or earliest fragment, 900 A.D., that's an interval of 960 years. Okay, walk together a little bit. Here we go. Okay, stretch it out. Right here. Uh, Homer's Iliad was written in uh, 850 B.C., the earliest fragment, 350 B.C., for an interval of 500 years. Okay, come together. So now we're about right here, okay? 500 years. But in the New Testament, we have documents that were written around 70 A.D., give or take, 70 to 80 A.D., some before, some later. The earliest fragment we have is from 125 A.D. for an interval of only around 50 years. Thank you, Easton. Only 50 years. Let's give it up for Easton. Thanks, buddy. So listen, because that span is so short, we can be confident that the words we read today are the words that the writers originally wrote all those years ago. And that's why one scholar said this. He said, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded beyond all doubt. So you can be sure that when you open up your Bibles, your, the words that you're reading are the same words that were written in a different language by Matthew, by Peter, by Paul, and the other New Testament writers. Well, here's another evidence as we talk about the Bible's reliability, and it's the evidence of history and science. And this is really important to me, that my faith is in the Bible. It's not based on tradition. It's not based on the family that I grew up in, but it's based on history and science. I would have a hard time believing in Scripture if it was constantly being contradicted by history and science. And I want to say something, and I say this out of a spirit of love, but did you know that the Book of Mormon, which millions of well-intentioned people put their full faith and confidence in, that it falls so short of the historicity test that the Smithsonian Institute did an investigation and they determined that it was not historically reliable whatsoever. So the Book of Mormon might mention a river or a mountain or a people group, and there's no evidence at all that any of those things ever existed. But that's not the case with the Bible. How could I believe in a book that was being contradicted by history that, that wasn't backed by science? But the Bible is not about made-up people or places. Again and again, there have been people who've tried to disprove some of the stories of Scripture by saying, oh, this person never existed, or this city was never really there. 
but the Bible over time has continually proven itself to be true. Well, science is one category in which the Bible has been validated. There are are many principles of modern science that were recorded as facts of nature in the Bible long before science confirmed them experimentally. Let me give you a few examples. Isaiah 40 talks about the roundness of the earth. 2 Peter talks about the law of conservation of energy and mass. Ecclesiastes talks about the hydraulic cycle and atmospheric circulation. Jeremiah mentions the vast number of stars. Psalm 102 talks about the law of increasing entropy. Leviticus talks about the importance of blood in the life process. Job talks about the gravitational field. And the list goes on and on of how Scripture reveals truth that science has only just discovered in the last century. And there's other things that could be mentioned, like sanitation and hygiene and infectious disease. And the Bible has continually proven itself to be true in the area of science. I think I could probably teach for a year on all the reasons we can trust the accuracy and authenticity of Scripture, but I think, at least for me, the most convincing argument is the evidence of archaeology. I want to read to you an article that appeared in the Kansas City Star. It shows how archaeology has proven the Bible to be true. It says, a string of recent archaeological discoveries have provided the first hard evidence for several biblical figures and events many of which had been widely dismissed as myths and moral tales. Individually, the discoveries are important, but together they are shaking the field of archaeology and strengthening words that Bible believers have had to take on faith. The most important of the new discoveries is evidence for the existence of King David. David's story is an exciting tale of murder, adultery, deceit, and extraordinary faith and courage. And most scholars and skeptics have long thought that even David must be made up. Then came one of the greatest finds in the modern era. Israeli archaeologists digging in the Golan Heights unearthed a piece of stone from an ancient monument, and inscribed on it were the Aramaic words, King of Israel, House of David. The story so shook some scholars that they insisted the find was a phony or the inscription incorrectly translated. A year later, however, archaeologists found more fragments with additional inscriptions referring to the ancient king. And today, the new scholarly consensus is that David was real, not because the Bible says so, but because archaeology has found it to be true. And the article goes on to tell of similar discoveries that have, been, that have proved the existence of Abraham and King Herod and others that we read about in the Gospels. There have been over 25,000 archaeological discoveries that have validated Scripture. A Jewish archaeological expert Nelson Bluck says, it may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever denied a biblical reference. And so there's the evidence of archaeology. But there's also the evidence of prophecy, especially the prophecies concerning Jesus. Now we know, of course, that the writing in the Old Testament was completed several hundred years before Christ was born. So there's no way that these predictions could have been written about after Jesus was born. And several of these prophecies are very explicit and detailed. Probably the most compelling is Isaiah 53, as it prophesies a suffering Messiah. But that prophecy in Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Now, how could he have seen the future so clearly? 
I think there's only one answer, that God revealed it to him, and he wrote it down in Scripture. There are over 300 prophecies that were literally fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Peter Stoner, a scientist in the area of mathematical probability, says that if we take just eight of the 300 prophecies concerning Jesus, that we will find their probability of coming to pass one in one times 10 to the 17th power. So if you have your notes sheet, I would say just write the number one with 17 zeros after it, and that will show you how big of a number we're talking about. And he explains how probable this is by explaining it this way. If you were to take one times 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, okay, and you were to fill up the entire state of Texas, okay, that amount of silver dollars would fill up the entire state of Texas two feet deep, okay? So then what you do is you take one of those silver dollars, you take a black marker, you put an X on the back of it, and you toss it somewhere in the state. And you get a giant mixer, and you're mixing up all of these silver dollars that cover the entire state of Texas. You get blindfolded, you get in a helicopter, and you're just dropped randomly somewhere in Texas. The odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies are the same as you being dropped out of a helicopter blindfolded, and the one silver dollar you pick up just happens to be the one with the black X on it, okay? And so we are talking about something supernatural, something otherworldly. It's inspired. There's no other way to explain it except that the Bible we have is, in fact, given to us by inspiration from God. Well, here's another, another evidence, and it's one of the most compelling for me, and it's just the evidence of changed lives. The fact that there are so many people whose lives have been changed by this book. I think that says something about its inspiration, that that our Creator revealed His Word to us in Scripture, and that His Word has been able to transform so many people's lives. I think that says a lot about its authenticity and reliability. Well, we've talked a little bit about some of the evidence and inspiration of Scripture, but I also want us to talk about the question of the application of Scripture. Because I'm convinced for a lot of people, the question they have about the Bible is not, is it historically accurate, but how does it help my life today? It's hard to be interested in this old, ancient book if it doesn't do me any good. I found this book on Amazon. It was called The Idiot's Guide to Weight Training. I figured I was the the target audience, and so this book tells me how I can get in the best shape of my life. It lays out a clear plan, and the words in this book, if put into practice, could change the way I look, could change the way I feel. But let's say that I take this book and I leave for six months, and, and you don't see me for six months, and I come back, and I've read the entire book. I've highlighted it all throughout. I've even started a small group on the Idiot's Guide to Weight Training, and we talk about this book. But you see me and you say, hold on, wait, 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 hold hold up. But you don't look any different. Like, you haven't changed at all in six months. The problem would be is I was using that book as a textbook instead of as a manual for life. I was using it as a source of information to learn things, but I wasn't applying it to my everyday world. And I think we can make that mistake when it comes to Scripture. We can study it. We can learn a lot about it. 
We can even quote different Bible verses, and we can be in a small group where we read the Bible together. But until we apply the Scripture to our lives, this book has no power. And the primary reason the Bible was given to us was not to teach us, but to transform us. And transformation takes place when information and application come together. And so the challenge really is to not look at the Word as a history book, but to look at it as a book that can change the way you live. So commit yourself to reading Scripture. Apply it to your lives. Draw out principles. Ask yourself, all right, how can I implement this in my everyday life? Look at what James says in James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what they do. And James says the Word of God is like a mirror. You know, the reason we use a mirror, of course, is to evaluate ourselves. We look at it before we go out. We want to make sure that we don't have jelly on our face so that all of our buttons are, are buttoned properly. I don't know if you've ever made the mistake of rushing out of the house before you've had a chance to look in the mirror, but it can be really embarrassing. You need that mirror because it gives you an accurate reflection of what you look like. And that's how James says we should view the Word of God. We look into the Word of God, and we use it to evaluate our lives to make sure that we're following God's will for us. John 13, 17, Jesus gets done teaching, and he says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Well, we've talked about, is the Bible really true? And the other question we've addressed is, does the Bible relate to my life? But here's the question I want to leave you with. What's your authority? Because with all the proof and and all the information, the real question is, are you going to allow this book, the Bible, to make all the difference in your life? Everybody has an authority for their life, whether they realize it or not. Whether they would state it or not, they have some type of authority. And for you, maybe it's not the Bible, maybe it's culture. And you make decisions based on what everyone else says or based on what everyone else is doing. Exodus 23, verse 2 says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. But that's how a lot of people determine what they're going to do in life. Another thing is traditions. You do or don't do something based on your family background and the way that you were brought up. You only believe something because your parents believed it. Or maybe for you, your authority is reason. You try to figure things out and you use human intellect and and you try to determine what's best for your life by using your mind. Or maybe it's feelings. I think for a lot of people, that's how their belief system is formed is is based on how they feel. And, And our judgment of right and wrong can sometimes be very relative. It's just based on how each of us feels. But I guess that's the question. If you're going to blow off the Bible, what are you going to replace it with? And what's going to be the true compass of your life? What are you going to use to make decisions? What are you going to use as an authority for truth? And it better be good because you're betting everything on it.
Let's look again at 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants to do. And you know what? The Bible is historically accurate, but it's not a history book. The Bible is scientifically accurate, but it's not a science book. The Bible was given to us to change our lives. It is God's love letter written to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. God, that it is not just some ancient book, but it is the very word of God. You have given it to us so that we might know you. We might know your will. We might know your character. We might know your desire for us. God, it is, is through your word that we discover purpose, meaning, our, our very reason for existence. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us your word so that we might know how to come into a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And God, if there is anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray today that they would understand your word tells us that we can have Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life. We can put our trust and faith in him. And God, if there is anybody who's wandering. Maybe they view something else for authority in their life other than Scripture. God, I pray today would be the day they come back and they say, I want to stand on the authority of God's Word. I'm going to use it to guide and direct me. God, help us all to be amazed that you have supernaturally preserved your Word and given it, given it to us today and that we can know that Scripture is true, it's trustworthy, it is reliable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.